Um, when KJ um, invited me to uh, join you uh, for this weekend to talk about on leadership, I was quite excited about it and um, developed a couple of talks um, for you um, on this subject. Um, I did not necessarily know um, when I started working on those talks where it would end up, but I just am so excited to be here today and passionate to share with you what God has laid on my heart um, for you. Um, and um, and trust that as we spend some time together, um, that it will be um, helpful for you um, as an individual, um, but even uh, more importantly, um, how you uh, incorporate that into the life and ministry of Open House Church or wherever God has called you um, into leadership. Um, at this church camp, we're going to uh, look at the topic of leadership. Uh, what is a leader? Um, what do we look for in a leader? Uh, in other words, um, you know, even if you consider yourself a leader, um, wherever that might be, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? What is one thing or what are few things that would drive good leadership? Uh, and not just in a church, but in a family, um, in a job, in a church, um, but also, as we think more globally in the world. Um, as we look at this topic of leadership, we're going to look at the life of David. Um, David, uh, who at the age of 30 became a king of the nation of Israel, about a thousand years before Christ. Now you can read a lot about David in the books um, in the Bible, 1 and 2 Samuel, also um, in 1 Kings, and in the Colerary book in 1 Chronicles. Of David, it is said that um, in the Bible that the Lord appointed him leader over Israel. Now, the influence that we see in the life of David is, it, it, I mean, it echoes throughout the rest of the Bible, uh, from 1 Samuel right through to the last book of the Bible in Revelation. I mean, his name is repeated 1,089 times in the Bible. No other name is repeated more than the name of our God and of his Son and our Savior Jesus. But even Jesus himself was called the Son of David. Throughout history, um, the town of Jerusalem or the city of Jerusalem has been known as the city of David. And even today, um, on the Israeli flag, you see the legacy of David um, emblazoned on that flag with the star of David right at the heart of it. So you see his influence. So we're going to look at uh, David, the leader, as his story is told uh, to us in the pages of the Bible. In the first talk, we're going to look at leaders from your perspective. What do you look for in a leader? Or as you're thinking about leadership more generally, what should we look for in a leader? But before we dive into the Bible, we're going to hear from some future leaders. And they're going to answer the question, what is a leader? This is what they had to say.
A leader is when someone guides a group of people when when they need help. Somebody who is always there to guide you and like show you the light and like when it gets dark, he can like light a torch of knowledge to guide you. for the people or animals or things for what happens and tells what other people to do. Someone who judges you and you have to follow whatever he does. And it has to be someone who's very nice, not bossy and not Annoying. A leader is somebody you follow and tells you what to do. Somebody that has like control and confidence. Kind, generous, and really nice and really sweet. Or what is a leader? I'm back in a He has to lead the way and, and the other superheroes have to
Well, there you've heard it from some future leaders, what they had to say about what is a leader. But what about you? What qualities do you like to see in a leader? What do you look for? I mean, perhaps you look for somebody who is uh, successful, uh, who's been really good in business, who's made uh, a pile of money. You might look for somebody from noble birth, someone who's got royal blood sort of running through their veins. Could it be that you look for someone who is popular, um, someone that perhaps you like to hang out with, someone who's good looking, or someone who has a great sense of humor? Well, there seems to be a lot of experts um, on what to look for in a leader. I mean, there are over 10,000 books on leadership currently in print. Over 10,000 books. I'm, in my own library, I have two full shelves. That's about two and a half meters uh, of books on leadership in my own library. One of the experts um, that lists, lists uh, when on leadership lists five qualities that you want to look for in a leader. Someone who has got a positive attitude. Someone who's got confidence. I mean, the kids would agree with that. Uh, a good sense of humor, uh, ability to deal with the future, uh, someone who is uh, responsible. Another uh, so-called leader, uh, expert on leadership writes that a good leader will be informed and knowledgeable, uh, someone who should be self-motivated, uh, someone who should possess a, an air for authority, uh, someone who would have uh, the ability to solve problems, um, I, I brought this book with me. Uh, it's by John Maxwell on leadership. Um, the 21 Indispensable Qualities of a Leader. Um, he's a leadership guru. I call him a leadership guru because he has written well over 100 books. Um, he's sold over 20 million copies of his books, and some of his books are translated into over 50 languages. Now, you would think that he would know a thing or two about leadership, well, he's identified 21 qualities that you would look for. Over a half a million copies of this book alone have been sold. Yeah, with all of these expert opinions, there's one major study on leadership that concludes that there was no clear and unequivocal understanding of what distinguishes between leaders and non-leaders. Uh, Bernard Bass, uh, he wrote a book, handbook on leadership and he concludes that leadership is one of the most observed and the least understood phenomena on earth. So if you're unsure of what qualities to look for in a leader, you're in good company. So if you have your Bibles, I just invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16 because that's where we're going to spend our time um, this first talk. And in this chapter, we meet a man by the name of Samuel. Um, he's looking for a leader. What kind of leader makes a good leader? For Samuel, that was a hot topic in his day. I mean, chapter 15 ends and chapter 16 with, begins with Samuel in tears. He's mourning for Saul. King Saul, the current king of Israel. God had just rejected Saul as a leader for Israel, and now Samuel has to look for a replacement, a new leader, a new king. Now Samuel mourned for Saul because he had so hoped that Saul would have worked out in his day to be a good king. 
I mean, when Saul became king, I mean, Samuel headed up the decision-making process. He was there when Saul was voted in after uh, he was chosen by casting lots. I mean, from all viewpoints, I mean, Saul fit the bill as a king. I mean, Samuel's own assessment of Saul was simply this. There was no one like him among all the people. I mean, he stood a head taller than everybody. I mean, he was some giant of a person, an impressive young man, a person that people quite literally had to look up to. Tall, dark, and handsome. I mean, a real executive kind of person, this man, Saul. And to top it all off, I mean, Saul showed amazing wisdom when his leadership was challenged early on in his reign as king. He knew when to speak and when to keep silent. The story is told about a time when Nahash, the Ammonite, that wicked snake of a king, threatened Israel. I mean, that time Saul came to the rescue. Truly, this man was worthy of his salt as a king, as a leader. But Saul had become too big for himself. I mean, when Saul became king, I mean, God had changed his heart. But pride got the best of him, and it brought out the worst in him. I mean, Saul withdrew from following God, and God withdrew his spirit from Saul. The time had come for a new leader in Israel. And so God tells Samuel that he's to go to the little town of Bethlehem, and there he will find a man by the name of Jesse, who's got a bunch of sons. One of those sons will now be the leader, become the leader in Israel, and be anointed as the next king of Israel. But Samuel is really reluctant to go. I mean, he's afraid of King Saul. But God had a solution to Samuel's problem. He said, well, all you got to do is take a heifer with you. And people always like a good barbecue. I mean, tell people that you're going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. In fact, I will point out to you the person that you need to anoint. Well, Samuel did what the Lord said. So Jesse and his sons, I mean, they accepted the invitation to come to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, um, right away Samuel saw the eldest son. I mean, he stood out in the crowd of boys. The eldest son, Eliab. And he thought right away, <laughs> I bet that's the guy. I mean, he's the eldest. Doesn't the firstborn always get the double inheritance of the family? I mean, he's the most experienced, he's lived the longest, he's the wisest in the family. I mean, surely this must be the one. Is he not on the top of the pecking order in his family? I mean, apparently Samuel was looking for a leader much the same way you and I look for a leader. We look for that someone who is tall, dark, and handsome, perhaps popular, been around for a while, someone top in his class, the eldest in the family, I mean, was that not what happened with Saul? <laughs> but that's not true with God. God doesn't look for things like you and I look for things in a leader. I mean, we might look at the outward appearance, but not God. In fact, he says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. I mean, and don't look at his height or how good he looks, because um, I've rejected him. 
It's not your height that makes you a good leader. It's not your looks that make you a good leader. Well, then what? So then Jesse has his next son come out, Abinadab. He passes in front of Samuel. And he too is rejected. And then comes Shammah. <laughs> and then the next four of Jesse's sons. But each time, one by one, God tells Samuel, no, not him, not him, not him. I've not chosen these. By that time, you would probably expect that Samuel's baffled. He wonders what the problem is. Can't God figure it out? And so he asks Jesse, he says, that's all you got? <laughs> I mean, seven sons, I mean, isn't that... I mean, none of them measure up. Is that all you got? I mean, Samuel was on a mission to find a good leader, and somehow Jesse's boys don't measure up to God's standards. At that moment, uh, Jesse admits, uh, perhaps a little ashamedly, well, you know, uh, <laughs> we still got the youngest one. He's taking care of the sheep. In other words, he's just a kid. He's a boy. He's a child. He's the runt of the litter. He's out there doing what most people don't like to do. He's doing the chores. He's keeping watch over the sheep. Now, as Samuel was baffled before, he must be confused now. I mean, he started his search with the most impressive. And he worked down to the least impressive. And we we're not even told this boy's name. I mean, we've heard about Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah, but who's this young kid? Surely God does not want this boy to be a leader. Perhaps that's how some of you are feeling. And I wish somehow that those young kids that were here earlier were here. I mean, you're young. And you don't consider that you have leadership material. I mean, don't you have to be older? At least have some experience, some gray hair, or at least no hair? And if not experience, then at least some letters behind your name, or some money in the bank, or a large following on Twitter or on Facebook. Or perhaps you, as a young person, you look yourself in the mirror and you don't see a leader. You see someone that has to prove himself first. And maybe that's what those of you who are perhaps a little bit like me, you're a little bit older, and that's what you think. In fact, you look down on young people. I mean, they have to grow up first. <laughs> before they can lead anything. I mean, when you look for advice, I mean, you don't go to young people, do you? You go to older people, the elders. When I was uh, ready to begin full-time ministry in a church, I was um, only 25 years old. I finished all my studies. I was ready to start. Perhaps I should have told the churches that were interviewing me that I was a quarter of a century. <laughs> At least that would have sounded a little bit older. 
For when I started uh, talking to churches about being their pastor, there was one church in particular, when they heard that I was only 25 years old, they told me, we don't want someone young. We've made that mistake before. I kept talking to that church, and three weeks later, they called me to be their pastor. But I know there was a mindset in that church that young people, they can't lead. I mean, when a young person named Gary wanted me to lead, wanted to lead some ministries in that church, and we were starting to reach out to lots and lots of lost people. We were doing things a little bit differently in that church. And when, when Gary was going to step up into leadership, people would look down on him. They would say things like, he's way too young. There's one comment that just sticks in my mind where one older person said to me, he's still wet behind the ears. But I told Gary what Paul took young Tim told young Timothy. So don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Some years later, when I needed a person to help lead the church that I was going to plant, I asked Gary to join us, and he did, and he did a phenomenal job. Don't look down on your youth. <laughs> Don't look down on young people. When you look for a leader, it's not about their good looks, it's not about their age, it's not about how tall they are. In fact, as God told Samuel, the Lord does not look at things the way people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. When you look for a good leader, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I mean, God had given uh, Samuel his marching orders as he told Jesse, I, I want you to go send for him. We're, uh, we're not going to sit down until he arrives. I mean, the barbecue's not going to start until he's here. So Jesse sent and had his youngest son brought in. And we're told that this young man, I mean, he was ruddy, he had a fine appearance, and he had handsome features. I mean, Samuel was told not to look at the appearance of this young man. I mean, what we value and look at is a right heart, not appearance or stature. Yet this young man is handsome. In fact, the writer Samuel and Samuel himself, I mean, they're dazzled by how good-looking this guy was. But God does a quick heart examination, and he tells Samuel he's the one. Now Samuel rises up and he anoints this young man in front of all of his brothers. Now you can imagine what was going through in their head. Why our kid brother and, and not us? And we're told that from that day onward, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. That's the first time we heard the name of this boy. The young boy is David. All along, the writer keeps us in suspense as if to say it's not the person's name that is important. It's all a matter of the heart. So what was God looking for 
as he was looking for the leader, the next leader in Israel. What's this matter of the heart? Well, earlier on in 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel told Saul, your kingdom will not endure because the Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of the people. When God looked at David, he found a person after his own heart. A person after his own heart, a leader after God's heart, a leader who has a heart like God's heart. That's what God is looking for in a leader. And that's what you and I should be looking for. Men and women who are people after God's own heart. Older people and young people whose hearts beat in sync with God's heart. But what does that look like? What is a person after God's own heart? What does that look like? What should, be, what should we be looking for in a leader? And, and if you are a leader, what should you want to see in the mirror of your life? I'd like to mention three things this morning and the rest of the time that I have with you. The first thing you want to look for is character. True leadership always begins with the inner person. The character of the leader will filter into every aspect of life and ministry. In your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, in your friendships, in the church, in the workplace. I mean, a leader's character will impact those around her. Apart from character, ministry only is a religious activity. Let me repeat that. Apart from character, ministry is only a religious activity. Without character, there is no leadership. But great character will create potential for a great marriage, a great family, a great relationship, a great church, a great organization, and a great society and world. It all begins with the leader's heart. Now, what kind of character? What kind of heart? Well, it's a pure heart. A heart of purity. And the one thing we know about God, that is what characterized his heart. At the heart of God, you see a pure heart. I mean, in the book of Job we read, how can mere mortals be more righteous than God? How can humans be purer than their creator? In other words, if you want to look at the pinnacle of purity, where do you look? You look to God, the one who created you. And purity in heart is what every person and every leader needs to aim for. I mean, David knew that full well. I mean, the book of Psalms and the Bible were composed mostly by David. In this book, there are 132 references to the human heart. David tells us, for example, in Psalm 24, that if you want to stand in the presence of God, in other words, if you want to be in the presence of God and actually have a standing with God, you need to have a pure heart. Our Lord Jesus, the son of David, he echoed those words where he said, blessed are the pure in heart. They still see God. I mean, if you want to see God in your life and in your marriage, in your family, in the church, in your leadership, you need to have a pure heart. If you don't have a pure heart, you won't see God. 
in your life, in your ministry, in the church. Now, if you know anything about David as a leader, you'll quickly tell me that David surely was not perfect. And he wasn't. He had many failures and many faults. He committed gross sins, and David knew that. Perhaps a time when David scored the lowest on the purity scale was when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then tried to cover that up by making sure that her husband got murdered. Only when God sent Nathan the prophet to David to confront him did David finally admit the evil of what he had done. After that confrontation with Nathan the prophet, David sat down and wrote a prayer. That prayer is recorded in Psalm 51. David was not just sorry for his sin. He was broken. Broken before God. He said the sacrifices of God are broken. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The word contrite is, is an interesting word. I don't know if you've ever used talcum powder. I know my wife loves it. Um, right after a bath, just to sprinkle that all over her, and especially when our kids were babies, get talcum powder and put it all over their bottom. When talcum powder was first um, discovered, um, what it was, they, they wrote on the bottom of, this is a rock that has been contrited. That's where talcum powder comes from. It comes from a rock. But it's so busted up and so broken up into bits and pieces that it's just powder. That's what our heart needs to be like before God. That's what David's heart was like before God. It was just pulverized like talcum powder, contrited. He was broken before God, and he pleads with God. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Or as David says in Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know me. Know my heart. Know my heart. What's inside of me? Test me and see if there is any wicked way in me, any evil way. Know my anxious thoughts and lead me in the way everlasting. The one thing we know about David is that he wanted to have a heart after God's heart. A pure heart. And when you look for a leader, you look for someone who strives to have a pure heart, a person of godly character, someone who is broken before God, who knows the depth of their sin, and who strives to have a pure heart and a steadfast spirit before God. David's son Solomon tells us in Proverbs 21.11, he says, God loves the pure-hearted and well-spoken. Good leaders also delight in their friendship. At the heart of leadership is purity, having a pure heart. That's the stuff of good leaders. The Apostle Paul echoed that to young Timothy when he said, flee from the evil desires of youth, Pursue righteousness, faith, and peace, along with all those who call upon the Lord with what? With a pure heart. Because that's how we have to call before God. If you want to be a leader, you've got to call upon God with a pure heart. 
So what should you look for when you look for a leader? What should you strive for as a leader? To have a pure heart. To pursue righteousness, to be steadfast in spirit, to be contrite before God. That's the first thing you look for in a leader, their character. And closely related to character is the second thing that you should look for in a leader, and that is a heart of integrity. Now what's meant by integrity? Well, integrity is all about having an agreement between what you say and what you do. You don't say one thing and you do another. And the one thing we know about God is that he had a heart of integrity. He does. In the Bible we read, God is not a man. He's not like you and I. He, he doesn't lie. God is not a human being. His decisions will not change. If he says he's going to do something, he will do it. If he makes a promise, then he will do what he has promised. God has a heart of integrity. And if a leader is to have a heart after God's heart, they need to, you got to look for integrity. In Psalm 78, we have good insight into um, the reign of David as a king, as a leader. Look what we've told. This is what we're told. God chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel his inheritance. And David shepherded them with what? With integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. In a prayer near the end of David's life, David prayed to God, and he, this is what he says. You read it in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart. When God tests the heart, what is he looking for? You're pleased with integrity, because that's what God looks for when he tests the heart. Your heart, my heart. Hearts of leaders. All these things, God, and David says at the end of his life, he says, I have given willingly and with honest intent. David had integrity of heart. And that is what you look for in a leader. Integrity matters. Integrity is not only doing, um, you know, what, it's not about just what we do, but also what we say we're going to do and who we are. And who we are determines what we do. Our values are so much part of us that we cannot separate it from ourselves. Uh, we, integrity is all about talking to talk and walking to walk. And that's what you want to look for in a leader. Now, how does that impact on leadership? Well, let me give you an illustration. Um, perhaps can be lived out in the life of a church. Suppose you are a leader in the church. Think of a leader in the church. Um, they say to God's people, you've got to practice hospitality. That's what they do. They practice hospitality. You often see people come over to their house, and they invite people after church, and throughout the week, and their neighbors, you know, their, their house is always opened up, and they actually have a budget set in their house, you know, so that they could actually, you know, sp spend some time with other people, and have them over for dinner, and, or maybe go out to a restaurant together. I mean, they practice hospitality. 
in your church, you'll probably find a lot of people practicing hospitality. Perhaps as a leader, you say to people, be positive. And you as a leader in the church, I mean, you show a positive attitude. And you don't criticize people. You don't put them down. You always look at the bright things, you know, the cup half full rather than the cup half empty. You always think about the future and what God has in store. And you keep telling people that. And guess what? In your church, you're going to find a lot of positive people. Or you say to your people as a leader in the church, you know, you got to reach out to unsaved neighbors. Isn't that what it's all about? I mean, the mission of the church is that we got to reach out to the lost and bring them to Christ. It's not what we're all about. And as a leader, you do that. In fact, you spend time, you know, discipling other people and you talk to your workmates about God. And you invite them to church. Like once in a while, you go out in your neighborhood and you just have people over for coffee and you just have a chance to chat to them about Jesus and you start sharing them. And, you know, and then there's that woman that you just hang out with and you do a Bible study with her because she just has a lot of questions about the faith. And that's what you do as a leader. And guess what? In your church, you'll probably have a lot of people doing evangelism and reaching out to people, the unsaved. Let's flip it around. You know, in your church, you're a leader, and you say to people, practice hospitality. <laughs> but as a leader, you never do it. Never have anyone over for tea. Never open up your doors to other people. I mean, you never have friendships with others. You don't practice it. And in your church, yeah, some might do it. But probably most will not. Or you say to people, be positive. <laughs> but they look at you and you always got a frown on your face and you're always complaining about people and about things and about life and about COVID and about this and about God and the future. And you always look at the past and the good old days back then and nothing be good today. And, and what you find, your church is full of a lot of people who... Well, there might be a few that are positive, but most of them are grumblers and complainers. and They think the church is good for nothing. Or you say to people, uh, you got to reach out to your unsaved neighbors and got to get involved in outreach and evangelism. And you got to do that, but as a leader, you never do. You never had a spiritual conversation with a lost person. In fact, you don't even make friends with them because you don't like to hang out with them. You'd rather hang out with church people, not the lost, the least and the last. You just don't do it. You don't disciple anybody. You don't sit down and pray even for your lost Muslim neighbor. And in your church, oh yeah, some, they might reach out to others, but most will not. They won't be involved in outreach. And your church won't be known as having a culture for evangelism. Integrity is so important. Where you walk the walk as well as talk the talk. What do you look for? For a leader who has a heart after God's heart, they have a heart of purity, they have a heart of integrity, and finally, the last thing you look for is a heart for people. 
Remember, God sent Samuel to find someone who had a heart after God's heart. And if there's anything we know about the Father heart of God, is that it is this, that God loves people. God loves the world. God created the world because he wanted to enter into a relationship with human beings. I mean, he was all content living in the Trinity. I mean, they were completely full, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in this community of three persons. But what love does is love wants to give. And, and, and love wants to enter into a relationship with others. And so God created the world full of human beings. Men, women, children, old, young. Colors of the rainbow. People all across the world. And God's desire is that these people would be with him forever. For God so loved the world. We're not talking about stars and mountains and rivers and trees, how beautiful they are. You probably noticed that as you made up your way up the windy path up to this place. They're beautiful. But God so loved people. People. The men, women, and children he created that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will have God's life in them. They'll have eternal life, forever life. That's the Father heart of God. And how does um, a love for people impact on leadership? Well, when you love people, you want to serve them. It's all about servant leadership. You're not in it for what you can get, but what you can give. We see that very much in the heart and life of Jesus, servant leadership. He said of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, Jesus laid down his life for people. That's what love for people does. It sacrifices, it serves, it gives. Jesus focused on serving others rather than serving himself or being served by others. He wanted to serve. That's servant leadership. On another occasion, Jesus' disciples came up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, you know what? You know, they're having this whole argument about this dispute about this pecking order in the kingdom of God. Or even in the pecking order in this little group of men and women who were followed Jesus. I mean, who's most important to you, Jesus? But Jesus told them that while this might be the way that a lot of people live out their lives in this world, this is not what leadership is like in the Christian community. He said, you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should rule like the one, or should be like the one who is the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. If you love people, you're going to serve them. That's good leadership. Allow me to illustrate this from the life of David. I mean, the first place that we read about David being recognized as a leader, this is the first time in the book of 1 Samuel when people finally recognized that David was a leader. You find that in Psalm 1, I mean in 1 Samuel chapter 22. David, at this point in his life, is actually on the run. King Saul saw that David was increasing in popularity in Israel, so he was set out to kill him. 
Now David fled out to the hill country and he finds himself in the caves of Adullam. And there in those caves, he's joined by his family. His brothers are there, but not just them. We're told all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and David became their leader. That tells us a lot about the kind of leader that David was becoming. You would think that if you're trying to build up a following, you're going to go after people of influence, people with money, people with political connections, people with military might or stature, but not David. The people who started to follow David were people who were doing it tough in life, who had no money, who in fact were in debt. Not happy people, but discontented people, people in distress, people who did not have a lot to give. But David reached out to these down and outers, and eventually these people, these followers of David, this group of people changed the political landscape in Israel. David's investment in their lives changed not only their lives, but the lives of the whole country. Now, my friends, that's what servant leadership is all about. That's what servant leadership does. And that's the heart of God. Helping those in distress. Throughout the book of Psalms, we read, as we do in Psalm you know, 107, then people cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from all their distress. And those are the kinds of people that recognize David as their leader. On another occasion, and this is after David had become king, he's king over not just Judah, that's where he started, but over all of Israel, the whole land of Israel. The country now is not only united, the south and the north together, but they have security from all of their enemies. I mean, right now, they're, they're living in the place of in Jerusalem's capital city. I mean, this is the place of shalom, of peace, the rest. The land is now at rest. They, they, they finally achieved everything. And the first thing that David does, the very first thing, I mean, now he's accomplished everything. He's established his throne in Jerusalem, and he asks this question. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan, the son of Saul, was a good mate of David. And David got wind of the fact that there was still one of David's son, uh, Jonathan's son, who was alive. He was a cripple, lame in both feet. Well, David summons uh, this grandson of his arch enemy, arch enemy uh, King Saul, to come to the king's palace. And when he comes, David calls him by name, and he says, Mephibosheth! And the man replies, Your servant. I'm here to serve you, David. And then David reassures this man not to be afraid, and he makes him a promise. 
He says, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all that land belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Meshivatheth, I mean, he answers David. He said, David, what is your servant? You should notice a dead dog like me. That's not what kings do. That's not what leaders do. They don't notice those who are down and out, who are dead dogs. But that's exactly what great leaders do. Mephibosheth might have thought himself as a servant, as a dead dog, but David becomes the one who now serves Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth might have seen him like a might have seen himself as a dead dog, but David elevated him up to the place of a prince. And so we're told that Mephibosheth he always ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. In fact, David did this not just for the cripple, Mephibosheth, but he did that for all his people. In fact, we're told that David led the people of Israel by doing what was just and right for everybody, for all his people. He laid down his life for all the people. David did not come to be served but to serve, serve the people. He had a heart for people. Now this idea of servant leadership is illustrated in the peak of spiritual leadership in ancient Israel, the person of the high priest. God had given the people of Israel clear instructions um, as to what the high priest had to wear. There were two sets of stones, one on each of his shoulders, and there was another set of stones over his heart. And these were the key parts of his official regalia. Each of the pair of stones on his shoulders were inscribed with the six names of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, their patriarch. And the other 12 set of stones were set over his heart, and they were engraved each with one of the names of the tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. He carried the names of Israel over his heart, and so as he went about his duties, he was continually reminded that what, as a leader in Israel, what he was mostly to, to be concerned about was to make sure that all of those people of Israel were to be near to his heart. And he was to carry their burdens on his shoulders. He was to serve them. Love and compassion for all of the people. That's the heart of effective leadership. Great leaders are those who serve others. They love people. Love is the key. In fact, Jesus said, everyone will know that you follow me. If you want to follow the leader, who is Jesus? If you have love for one another. Do you want to lead your marriage? Then serve your husband. 
and serve your wife. Do you want to lead your family? And serve your children, or your grandchildren. Do you want to lead your friendship? And serve your friends, your mates. Do you want to lead a church? And serve the congregation. Do you want to lead a business? Then love by serving your employees. Do you want to lead a country? Then love by serving the inhabitants of your land. That's the kind of leadership you want to look for to have someone to lead. That's the kind of leader that you need to be if you want to lead others. You've got to serve. So what do you look for in a leader? You look for someone who has a heart after God's heart. There's a man who took his young daughter to a carnival, just like the Eka. She immediately ran over to a booth and asked for some cotton candy. As the attendant handed her a huge ball of it, the father asked, Sweetheart, are you sure you can eat all of that? She said, Don't worry, Dad. I'm a lot bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. And if you're looking for a leader, you're going to look for a person who's a lot bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. You look at their heart. They have a heart after God's heart, a heart of purity. Their character. A heart of integrity. They walk the walk and talk the talk. They have a heart for people. They are as one who serves. They're like David, who was a man after God's heart. God, thank you so much for the immense blessing of your word. Because as we open it up and crack it open and look at David, we see you. Someone who walked with purity, integrity, and with people. As we continue to reflect on that this morning and into this weekend as we spend time together, Lord, continue to speak to us as to the kind of leaders that we should look for, as well as the kind of leader that we should be. All to your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.